the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Championship week is in the books in a moment. Uh... In just hours, we will be uh, collecting together to wait to see what kind of smoke comes out from the selection committee. Uh, the the grouping together in Grapevine, Texas, very dramatic. Four teams to compete for a national championship. Barton Simmons, Tom Fernelli, I'm Chip Patterson. We're here to uh, to break it all down. I. I don't think that there's any controversy. Can we just spoil it? I think we know the four teams. It's going to be LSU. It's going to be Ohio State. It's going to be Clemson, and it's going to be Oklahoma. Oklahoma's probably number four. Clemson's probably number three, and then the rest we'll figure out. Spoiler alert. That gets us to Sunday afternoon. Does that sound about right to y'all? Yeah. Who did you say was number one? No, I, that, I said that was the, the conversation point. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I think the committee is very fortunate to have caught a break, a few breaks once again, and they can't make a mistake. It was pretty pretty hard to screw this up. Watch them throw Alabama in. <laughs> All right. So- As I live down here at SEC country, I'm on text thread with SEC, uh, SEC thinking folk and – they're, they're like they're, everyone's still trying to make a case for Alabama. Like oh, Alabama, Alabama beat this team. Alabama, be, Alabama. What would you? What would Alabama and this team be on a neutral site? It's like guys, guys, guys. Like you can't. That's not. We can't just make a playoff just based on like all the teams you think Alabama would beat if they play them. Like let's let's have some structure here. So we've got uh, also a lot of coaching news to get to, and and thank you to those of us, those of you who reached out to us on Twitter, uh, mentioning some of the exciting emergency pod type coaching news that is coming out. And yes, we will get to it here as well as uh, when we meet with you on Sunday and at the beginning of next week as some of these hires become official, continuing to react to it. But I think that for the purposes of the playoff conversation the pieces fell in line to make the committee's job easy when Oregon was able to beat Utah. And that final score was not indicative of how close the game was at, you know, what was it? 23 to 15, the fourth quarter, about nine, 10 minutes left. Utah had, had a chance, man. Utah was right there. And also, you know, as, as we can, and I don't know how, how much of this, uh, the actual game y'all want to sit on but i will also say that the final score is not indicative of the game and utah's performance was not indicative of the utah team that we saw for most of the rest of the season and maybe even including that usc game because there were some there were some mistakes there were some some miscues there were a lot of penalties there were a lot of things that just looked like a a utah was the uh the playoff team that was playing with a little bit of pressure and they did a good job to battle back and hang in after a really, really poor start. And uh, Oregon made some mistakes that allowed them to hang around in that game. But uh, or- Oregon was the one piece in this that started to to make the selection committee's job easy. Were there any any major takeaways or surprises from uh, Friday night's Pac-12 championship? PPFP lives, uh, <laughs> but that's, but it was only for, uh, only for teams that are slight underdogs. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it the PPFP has always helped when that team is actually playing another very good team. Right. That was potentially a top 10 team and could be a top 10 team in the committee's final rankings. Yeah, I mean, if if we looked at that game, and I mean, just going off the reaction to it, because there were so... I, I put out a Twitter poll before the game that said, is this your first time watching Utah all season long? And there was, you know, it was yes, no... And then I just did an option for C results. And C results got like 8% of the responses. And the rest were split right down the middle between yes and no. So there was a ton of this Utah, you said this Utah team was good kind of like responses because, you know, they were losing the game. And it's like, so people who were tuning in for the first time all season to watch Utah and seeing it lose were jumping to the conclusion that the team sucked. Like it wasn't playing a team that was in the playoff discussion itself a few weeks ago. So, I mean... Oregon's a very good team. Oregon's a very talented team, and that talent won out. Utah kind of played, picked a really bad time to play its worst game of the year, and it cost them a playoff berth in all likelihood because had Utah won that game with how sloppy Oklahoma kind of looked, beating Baylor today, I think Utah's the team that's at number four in the morning, but it, it blew its shot. Yeah, uh, I'll tip my cap to Oregon in that game because Oregon is, I mean, I'm so impressed uh, with with how that program has been built, how that team's been built, uh, they the offensive line for Oregon uh, kind of outplayed the defensive line for Utah. Those are the two strengths. And Oregon's offensive line opened up some holes. C.J. Verdell ran hard. And Utah was like, what, 0 for 3 and 4 downs. And I think they were like all in the first half. And that's the type of thing that can totally throw off a whole game. And you're right, Chip. It was 23-15. It felt like Utah was going to make a comeback and, and just sort of win it. But uh, credit Oregon for for winning that game. And and I, I think Utah had a really good team this year. But if you are playoff worthy, you show up in the big games. Which brings me to that next point. My biggest like beef coming out of that game was the talking points that everyone was tossing around. If only Oregon hadn't scheduled Auburn, Oregon would be in the playoffs right now. Boo. <laughs> Get out of here with that. That's trying not to cuss, but like, <laughs> like that's first of all, I just purely if, if they replace Auburn with Idaho state, then the fact they lost Arizona State and don't have another decent game on the schedule means they're sitting back there in like the Minnesota Baylor world in terms of the committee's approach to them. Second of all, we're not scheduling for, for like we're not trying to find six wins for a bowl appearance. Like we're trying to find, we're trying to build out a schedule to create a to 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 see what your team can do, and if your team can't win all the games on the schedule, then like you shouldn't be trying to trick your way into the playoffs. Like the whole idea of the playoffs is get the four best teams. And if your goal is to sort of connive your way into the playoffs by some tricked out schedule, then that, that defeats the whole purpose of this whole like experiment that we're, we're going through right now, this whole process. And second, and finally, like I was very pleased in Mario Cristobal's response, when someone asked him about that after the game, he said, "We're gonna our kids deserve the the right to see how good they are, and that's the what it's supposed to be about. You're supposed to go out there and try to play the best teams you can find, and go try to win it. And if you're not good enough for the playoffs, then you're not good enough for the playoffs, and that's okay. You can still have a great season. Um, but that that's my one little soapbox that I'm I was annoyed with. After. Yeah, and. Not to get not to get lost in the weeds on it too, but to further drive home that point, like, okay, so if Oregon hadn't scheduled Auburn, okay, well let's let's flip that around. If Oklahoma had scheduled Auburn instead of Houston, South Dakota, and UCLA and beat Auburn, or if Baylor had scheduled Auburn instead of Stephen F. Austin, UTSA, and Rice and beat Auburn, or if Utah had scheduled Auburn instead of BYU and Northern Illinois and Idaho State and beat Auburn. They wouldn't have been in the position where they needed Georgia to lose for any of it to matter 
the, for the results of their games to matter. Utah wouldn't have needed Georgia to lose if it had beaten Oregon. The winner of Oklahoma-Baylor wouldn't have needed Georgia to lose. Had they scheduled Auburn and beaten Auburn, they'd already have been in the number four spot. All they would have had to do is win and hold on. So there's two sides to the coin. And it's like you hear the argument like, well, if they hadn't scheduled, you know, the team loses twice, it loses to a good team like Auburn. It's like, well, you shouldn't have scheduled Auburn. But then there's also the teams that we've seen in recent years who win their conference and go 12-1, and one, but they didn't play anybody in non-conference and they get left out of the playoff. And we say, well, they should have scheduled somebody in non-conference. Because let's not forget, this same Baylor program that we're talking about now a few years ago in the first year of the playoff and TCU, they finished with one loss. They were, you know, they were co-conference champions. They were both left out. And what was the biggest argument against both of them? They didn't play anybody in non-conference. I do have a, I, I have trouble going all the way to go real hard on the scheduling thing, especially when so many non-conference series are scheduled way in advance. And I do know that, you know, uh, you can buy your way out of games and a lot of the kickoff classics aren't necessarily the five, six, seven, ten years out that we get for some of these home and homes that we've been seeing announced recently. But it wasn't the schedule thing that I was really sitting on in the wake of that game. I was actually thinking about a Cover 3 podcast listener who in a mailbag uh, episode suggested, I believe it was an Oregon fan in Columbus who was pitching the idea I would rather go to the Rose Bowl against in a game that I think I could win than get run by Ohio State in the playoff. And I was thinking that while you are disappointed, how great must it be to be sitting in the shoes of an Oregon fan right now when you've got a great trajectory? Mario Cristobal has said all the right things in this moment. Like you are very disappointed that you lost that game against Auburn. You're very disappointed that you laid that egg against Arizona state. A lot of what ifs packed into that, but you're going to the Rose bowl in a game that you could win with a team that just showed out to win the PAC 12 championship. The, the life of an Oregon duck fan ain't all bad. You're not in the playoff, but things are looking good. And, yeah. and and you also got to experience an awesome opening week game against Auburn. By oh, yeah. You know, like, <laughs> okay, yeah, you maybe you shouldn't have scheduled Auburn. Have fun at that Idaho State game week one. And, like, it's all – it's okay. It's yeah. Okay. And, by the way, just one last point on this before we, we should move on. For everybody who wants to expand to eight teams and then give, you know, conference champions automatic burrs to the playoff – that's just going to lead to even fewer big games and non-conference schedule because those truly won't matter then if all you got to do is win your conference. All Oklahoma had to do was win its conference. All Oklahoma had to do was just be better than a team it was better than. And Oklahoma almost didn't do it. Why? I, I picked Oklahoma to win the national championship in July. I was all in on this Jalen Hurts experiment. And man, I found it really hard to be excited about Oklahoma football on Saturday afternoon. Am I alone on this one? No. Uh, it's, I mean, Oklahoma's defense, I think, I think this was a good game for the world to realize that, hey, you know, they're not an elite defense, but the best in the Big 12. Than you thought. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, I saw a lot of people tweet this, and it's it's so true because it's very strange to see Jalen Hurts, who in three years at Alabama was known for not doing stupid things and not making the crucial mistakes, is suddenly now like a like a you know it, now he's in Oklahoma and he keeps making these huge mistakes in big games where it's like Oklahoma should have been winning these games easily but he keeps giving the ball away and keeping the other team in the game and it's oh it is just frustrating and there's also to, I I feel like oh this is just is all speculation on my part clearly but I get the sense from Jalen that the reason he transferred to Oklahoma was not to win a national title was not to get to a playoff he's done all that he's won national titles in Alabama he'd been to the playoff three times Jalen went to Oklahoma to improve his NFL draft stock and I think that has shown through the way he has played this season in that 
I get I get the sense at time that Jalen is trying to do too much because he's trying to impress somebody rather than, you know, maybe consider what's best for his team. And I think that was evident in this game yet again. Yeah, the, I don't know. There's just something I'm with you, Chip. I mean, just something just kind of feels off about Oklahoma. Uh, but it is encouraging how good their defense is playing. Um, I think it felt early on, though, like the, this was going to be one of those games where Oklahoma, where, where Oklahoma did what the the lock unity thought it was going to do. Oh, uh, so sad to see that. Yeah, but. I don't know, you know, that's just what I feel like there was another turn a, a turnover sort of put a put a wet blanket on the trajectory of that game and uh, Oklahoma never got back in it. I mean, I'm going to give Baylor some credit. Um Oklahoma never I guess re retook the dominance of it, but I I I'm going to give Baylor credit. I mean, that defense is is really good. Uh I think that said, I mean, you had Baylor's second and third string quarterback most of the second half of that game that that Oklahoma was dealing with and it still couldn't really put it away. So I, I mean, it's just it's just this is the least excited I've been about an Oklahoma team for sure. I, will I don't know say, what it is about it. I will say that I feel like the in Oklahoma's defense in particular, and maybe in a way that I thought was absent with Jalen, and maybe this is again me probably also taking some steps that I don't deserve to take from not being right there beside the team in the locker room. But I I'm starting to build up this um, theory that because Oklahoma has dominated the big 12 throughout this decade, that there is some built in nastiness that they get to have. And maybe that comes through on the defensive side and it comes in on the sideline. Like when I, when I would see the the sideline getting hyped and every, you know, they're trying to get in the crowd into it. Like there was a certain energy and a certain confidence throughout that Oklahoma team with, and I, and I saw it from visible signs of pretty much everybody, but Jalen hurts who kind of, you know, maintains his like, doesn't go to plus one or minus one. He just stays at zero. Uh, but the, it, it comes with being the king. And, and Oklahoma is the king of the Big 12. They've won it outright more than anyone else. They've dominated this league in a way across the last 10 years that no one else in that league has. And so, yeah, when things start to get a little bit tough and when you need to start to come up with big conference championship game winning plays, it's it was in Oklahoma's DNA more so than Baylor and I felt like that was a differentiating factor when the margins became so slim because of Oklahoma's own mistakes. Well, I think it's important, like for me and us, to catch ourselves, <clears throat> catch myself, and not look. You know, Oklahoma's been knocked for so long for having this terrible defense and this unbelievable offense. <clears throat> it's still winning, and so it's important to check yourself. It's got five straight conference championships. And just say, look, you know, I, we shouldn't penalize it for winning in a different way this year. For winning with a, a little more ugly offensively, but better defensively, meeting in the middle, still a really good team. And so um, I, I just wonder what, so what we expect. I guess we'll talk about them. So they'll, they'll play Ohio State or LSU. Um and Spencer Rattler's going to play. Jalen Hurts is going to sit out for the bowl game and get ready for the combine. Let's go, controversy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't think he'll do that. <laughs> but, I mean, to go back to your original question, though, Chip, about why, like, you know, the weird feeling about this Oklahoma team, if, if, if you didn't watch this game at all, even if you didn't watch it, if you just looked in the box score, you would see this. Baylor had to use three quarterbacks. Because Charlie Brewer got banged up in the first half, Gary Bohannon came in and it was pretty much ineffective. And then the god Jacob Zeno came in and just started slinging. But altogether, Baylor's quarterbacks nine of twenty-seven for two hundred and thirty yards. Baylor's rushing attack thirty-five yards on twenty-nine carries. And Oklahoma needed overtime to win that game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that that I mean look as as much as I respect that Baylor defense that that game didn't look like 
a couple elite teams going at it. it uh, maybe, like maybe a that's Mac game. Yeah, maybe that's not fair, but that's just the, that's just the vibe it had. Mm. That was some Tuesday night action. <laughs> that's what that game was. In all, and if we if it was a much more talented Tuesday night Mac game, that's really what it boils down to. That's the that's the level of uh, execution. There you go. There you go. Execution. All right. Well, uh, where do you want to go next? Do you want to go to the Mac where Miami, Ohio came out here and won a gosh darn Mac championship. I think that's you, you, you have said as much as we need to say about that. Shout out to EK. Sh- yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Eric K uh, who was definitely celebrating and I'll, I'll bring this one up. Graham couch is a beat writer for Michigan state. And he said, when is Las Vegas going to learn that no Mac championship line should ever be more than four? There is no one team that is definitively a touchdown better than another when it comes to the championship game. Hell, there's no team that's definitively a touchdown better in the regular season for the most part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the point was like among division champions. Obviously, yeah. we know Bowling Green is different. Shout out to the under Bowling Green. Um so uh ACC Clemson do you check it off we anybody anybody have any uh strong thoughts about the Tigers so here's the only thing I'll say about Clemson it's nitpicking I still think Clemson is you know Dabo if you're listening I still think Clemson is national title worthy and is playing as well as anyone in the country right now um but I do think when you just watch Clemson it has more just like human beings on defense than last year's team, which had just mutants. Like there are, there are normal people on the Clemson defense this year. And so I think if Clemson plays an offense like of the, the status and ability of LSU or Ohio State, I do think they'll be able to score some points. Now, that said, I feel like Clemson's offense right now in its current state is... Death machine. <laughs> I mean, it's, everyone's talking about LSU's offense, and rightly so, but I'm not sure Clemson doesn't have a better offense, to be honest with you. I mean, they're unbelievable no. right now. And, I mean, like, I, I tweet... I mean, the, their, set, their reserves were stunting on Virginia's starting defense. Like, they, they put in the backups everywhere late in that game and like they just drove right down the field and scored on them <laughs> and there was nothing i mean that's how good that they're just executing everything right now and trevor lawrence 16 to 22 302 yards four touchdowns he also rushed for 24 yards travis etienne 114 yards rushing a touchdown t higgins nine catches 182 yards three touchdowns justin ross three catches for 94 yards he's averaging 31 yards a catch it's just yeah i mean there is a reason that like ohio state and lsu fans will be debating hotly over who should be number one and it's because neither wants to play clemson for very good reason it's it definitely has more human beings and up front Clemson does not have the same, uh, definitely not the same dominance, but it's different. And Isaiah Simmons made a play in this game where well, he is not one of the human beings. No, he's one of the mutants. <laughs> like he's not of the same blood and and makeup as we are. There was a play action pass, and you looked at the deep pass. And you realized that uh, the wide receiver was double covered. One of them was uh, Tanner Muse, the safety on the backside. The other one was Isaiah Simmons, which had <laughs> chased it down from the line of scrimmage, like thirty yards back. And Isaiah Simmons got the deflection. Yeah, and he broke it up. <laughs> <laughs> it was like Brian Urlacherish kind of stuff that you haven't seen in a while. Yeah uh nuts uh yeah so like when when you're asking me to start talking about the clemson defense that's going to enter the playoffs 
I'm I'm gonna obviously start at Isaiah Simmons, but then I'm also gonna talk about Tanner Muse, Kayvon Wallace, who are not mutants at all. But I do think that they've been in Brent Venable's defense, getting coached up uh, in a way that they've been executing at a high level. You throw that in there with Tyler Davis, that's had a really good freshman season. I just I think Clemson's in a really good spot. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick by. Stick by my guns. I saw everything I needed to see. Check marks across the board. They they don't have mutants. You're right about that. But little old Clemson, as Dabo likes to call them, are still my national title pick. Did you so, see da- go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, did you see Dabo didn't have – he had a scheduling conflict and couldn't talk to the media tonight? A scheduling conflict? No, I did that, not see that. That's, that's what the media were told after the ACC championship game. There was a scheduling conflict, and Dabo wouldn't be able to talk tonight. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, I heading into the weekend, I think Clemson was my pick to win a national title. And I'm sort of but, – but here, like, following the weekend, I am – I don't know. I'm kind of – there, there is a team of destiny feel to LSU right now that is, is, is sort of gripping me. I mean, they, I think they really think that the Cajun god above has just anointed them national title champions. <laughs> like, I think that they don't think they can lose. In a, in, I think there's a confidence and like a mojo with that group Unlike e- even the other two uh, top, you know, national title contenders, and and while I expected what we saw against Georgia more than I would have expected a Georgia upset, um, it still was was pretty eye opening to see the way LSU dominated that game. And so, I don't know, man. I'm wrestling with it a little bit right now. Like I. I the, the way LSU is playing right now, and just sort of the the energy around that program, that's that, that's sure. I'm I sure I'm tempted to pick LSU to win it. See, for me, it a lot of it depends on how healthy Justin Fields' knee will be by the time the playoff starts. Because I think that, as we saw again tonight, because he was like Ryan Day even said in the post game interview on Fox how there was a lot of plays they weren't able to call tonight because they don't want to run with Justin Fields. And I think that really does kind of take away a very important dimension of the Ohio State offense, that if he's if that's not available to them, I think that that leaves them very vulnerable against Clemson and LSU. But at the same time, like you look at LSU's defensive performance today against Georgia, well, Clemson and Ohio State have a quarterback and a set of receivers who can test that LSU defense far more than Georgia could. And we saw, you know, against Alabama that that defense can be gotten to if you have the quarterback and the receiver. So I, I get what you're saying about the team of destiny because I totally think that there's that same kind of feel about them just based on, I mean, look at what they've done for the love of God. They've got, what, now four wins over teams currently in the top 12. But it's just, I, I don't know. I, I, I do still worry about that defense up against the Clemson offense or up against the Ohio State offense if Justin Fields is healthy. More on LSU, Ohio State, and what we saw on Championship Weekend, plus Lane Kiffin, Mike Norvell, and the big coaching moves on Saturday, next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure, What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or 
Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. As a uh, as a quick point, I will say, I think Dabo Sweeney did his ACC-required media time. Okay. I'm looking at the ASAP, uh, ASAP Sports transcript of Dabo Sweeney at the podium. Looks like he did a full session. Oh, so maybe maybe what I saw was like there was like a ESPN was requesting something. Yeah, it must have been like an extra breakout, but mm-hmm. uh, whatever the the regular like Bank of America Stadium, you know, ten minute cool off, then you go to the podium type stuff. It looks like he did that. Along Dabo with- must be really salty if he can go talk to Marty Smith. That's his, <laughs> that's, that's his boy. Uh, no, nah, there's a pretty interesting interaction where he was finding out the Ohio State score and saying, uh, uh, oh, did Ohio State win? Oh, what was the score? Was it close? Yeah, it wasn't real close here. Well, <laughs> it's really hard to... <laughs> <laughs> oh man um yeah but that's that was just you know him wrapping it up and he he gave a lot of credit to lsu and ohio state talked about how hard it is to be undefeated in season he said i don't care where we're ranked as long as we're in the top four because these guys deserve a spot in the top four yada yada looks like he answered all those questions um all right lsu georgia georgia came into this game already a little bit banged up already having uh george pickens suspended and i i wonder like barton we you hit on it right off the top on cbs sports hq in the post game and i i you know obviously did that thing that we all do where it's like ah damn he took that one you know you cross it off but there's there are good points to be made here for LSU in terms of what we saw from its top thirty defense against the Bulldogs and also just the way that that team in general, as you mentioned, uh, empowered by the Cajun gods, uh, seems to be playing with a whole ton of confidence in all three phases of the game. Yeah, I mean the the defense. It, I, I agree that this Georgia offense is a little bit easier to defend, and that's a that's a whole other subject that's worth discussing. But they're but, not bad. Like they got five offensive linemen that are going to the NFL. No doubt. But I think uh, you know when LSU has been exposed, has been you know when, when people throw it around. Um, and that said, look, the last two weeks this defense has been playing out his mind. And this defense still does does still have a ton of talent. And this defense is starting to get healthy. And this defense is starting to play with the urgency necessary in these kind of games. And I think, if anything, the, the game maybe just showed what this unit is capable of. Um, but, I mean, again, this is this this take is sort of handcuffed with the whole Georgia's offense is concerning take. And if Georgia is going to get where Georgia wants to be, uh, get back in the playoffs, win a national title, it's, it can't do it with what the, with the current state of that offense. Uh, and so that's going to be interesting to see how Kirby, who is, I mean, he wants this thing worse than anybody. There's the, you know, there's the the leaked video of him at practice saying how hungry he is and how he wants him to want it bad as he does all that stuff. He wants it. He's competitive, so he's going to figure out a way to get it right. I'm very interested in what direction their offense goes this off season. Uh, I just want to send a quick shout out to Jake Fromm, who for the fifth straight game completed fewer than fifty percent of his passes. It's amazing. Who who needs the guarantees that come with the first round contract? Yeah, right. I mean, I, 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 truly, at this point, he's got to come back, doesn't he? I guess uh, not. I guess he doesn't have to because there's some going to be some tough guys to compete with next year in the draft as well. 
I I think I mean this is going to be a whole separate thing that we're going on, but I think that if if Kirby does the thing that Kirby needs to do, as you were alluding to, where they you know make some changes on offense and you know get a little more explosive, a little more passing, a little more you know downfield shots. I think that if Jake Fromm did come back and play in a better offense, that he could very much improve his draft stock. Whether he's going to feel the need to do that, where he might be comfortable being like a second or third or fourth round pick, I, I don't know. But I, I do think that if they do make the change, if I'm Fromm, I would make sure we were making a change to our offense before I made my decision either way. Can, can you... Um, well... I just had a brain freeze, actually. So go ahead. Well, I, I, I'm going to maintain my if if Jake Fromm goes pro, I'm going to assume that a big part of the math was how much time he's spent playing at Georgia and everything that he's accomplished. That, um, yeah, he's had a lot of snaps. He's had a lot of snaps and a lot of experiences. So it's it it is a bummer that they did not win the national championship but they were really, really close to winning the national championship and he won an SEC championship and he's played in a bunch of big games and he hasn't lost much, but, um, that's, that's where I would be. If I was Jake Fromm trying to make that decision, I think that I could feel comfortable walking away and saying, this is, this has been a good college career. Ready to, uh, ready to move on now. You know who should definitely move on? Joe Burrow. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't have any eligibility left, right? <laughs> yeah, I know. Just, okay. I was, you know, he's going to be the number one pick. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. I don't. I don't know. I mean, NFL scouts they can they can sure find a way to sort of pick pick apart anybody and come up with some sort of reason why they're not like an NFL ready. Like, but I just like what more could he do this year? He's he's played like the perfect season. And today he did it against you know one of one of the best defenses in the country. <laughs> I mean, he and, lit it up for three hundred fifty yards, four touchdowns, and he was running all over the place too because George is in man. He would have a bunch of room to scramble, and he was picking up huge yards with his legs. Yeah, I, he he's been on he has been unreal. He takes and, shots and bounces right back up. Like mm-hmm. ooh, okay, yeah. all right, Tyler Clark, let's go. Good, good, yeah. good hit. All right, like he he does everything but give the defensive tackle a butt tap after he gets knocked down. That's the Andrew Luck move. <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah. No. Nah, nuts. Nuts. I. I think that <laughs> as we are looking at LSU, if LSU does end up being the number one team over Ohio State, I will not be mad. No. I won't be mad either. I, I think that both LSU and Ohio State have very good cases for being number one, and somebody's going to be mad. But uh, well, so so who did you got? Who who, is your, who would be your number one? I'm leaving Ohio State at number one simply because while LSU's got four top twelve wins, Ohio State's got five ranked wins, and Ohio State was more dominant throughout the season, and I think that. It's a little too easy to overlook that Ohio State's last three wins have all come against, you know, top 10 teams. And I just look at it where just an amazing factoid about Ohio State this season was when Wisconsin took that 7 to nothing lead early in the first quarter, that was the largest deficit Ohio State had faced all season. Until it was 14 to nothing. But it was just... Wait, so that- the prior deficit was 5 nothing, Miami, mm-hmm. Ohio? Yeah. Yeah, nice. And seven to nothing, the largest deficit they had faced all season until that point, until Wisconsin took a fourteen to nothing lead. And I just feel like if that doesn't speak to how dominant that team has been this year, then you know. But again, if LSU gets the number one spot, I if if it's hard to argue against that resume. So it's it's going to come down to whether the committee cares more about the wins or the eye test because LSU had close calls tonight was the first time we saw Ohio state even have to like break a sweat. And even then it responded by completely shutting Wisconsin down in the second half. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I would have no problem with either one being number one. Uh, but I lean LSU just because a big part of this is, 
who's the best team in the country, who's playing the best at the at this point in the year, and uh, Ohio State's playing great, Clemson's playing great, um, but the teams that LSU is beating and the way LSU is beating them, uh, it, it feels like LSU is accelerating through the finish. Um, but again, I got no problem with yeah. uh, with with Ohio State at one either. In the uh, in the group of five, and uh, and I'll take this to our coaching our coaching information. So rampant reporting about Memphis and Mike Norvell and the fact that not only had Mike Norvell emerged as a top candidate for Florida State, but by the time kickoff came in the American Athletic Conference Championship game from the Liberty Bowl in Memphis, it was that Mike Norvell was the top candidate. And then making things, I don't know, not worse, but certainly a little bit more ominous, the Florida State Athletic Department announces that it will be naming its next head coach at noon on Sunday before the game was even over. In fact, the announcement came out and Cincinnati probably took the lead within the next 30 minutes because there were six lead changes in Memphis, Cincinnati. Uh, but Memphis did hold on for the win. Norvell in the initial post-game interactions that I saw did did his best to try and turn the focus on the program, on the city, on the community, on the team, on the coaches, everything but what his future was going to be. And uh, shortly after the conclusion of the festivities from the Liberty Bowl, we do get the confirmation that he will be the next Florida State head coach. So uh, it was going on at the same time. I had some work responsibilities for it. Were there any eyes on Memphis, Cincinnati? Uh, yeah, no, I was watching it for, I mean, I had it on a second screen pretty much the entire time. I don't know. Here's some more news though, about, uh, the Memphis coaching situation with Norvell. You know, that Memphis almost already has his replacement ready. Who is I don't it? know if you guys saw that. Is it Barry Odom? Yeah. Sick. There, there are reports that Memphis is close to, you know, naming Barry Odom. It's new head coach as soon as Norvell is officially at Florida State. They're Listen, the replacement. Hey, how about this? That's great for Barry Odom. I know that uh, given Barry Odom's connection to the Missouri program, it's probably not fun to uh, have a parting of ways there, but Mike Norvell is leaving that program in a better place than he found it, and Justin Fuente left it in a better place than he found it, and that was uh, that the last time Barry Odom was there. So, like, he's walking in to a house that's gotten a couple of um, renovations since he was last there. Some new new kitchen, new bathroom. Hey, and you know, kitchens and bathrooms, that's how you raise the home value. That's right. Now, uh, the Memphis-Cincinnati game was just kind of fun. I don't think I would can say it was good, <laughs> at least based on what I saw, but it was fun. I mean, if you look at the numbers, like, Desmond Ritter finished 16 of 36 for 233 yards. Brady White was 18 of 40 for 253 yards. It was not a crisp, well-played game, but it was an entertaining game. Yeah, I didn't get to, I didn't get a chance to watch uh, much of it myself. Um, flipped over, saw some of it here and there, but not as much as I would have liked. Uh, just seemed like Memphis sort of survived it, and hey, that's a good feeling for uh, Mike Norvell to be able to go out on top like that. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's an encouraging way to, to end it. Like that's, that's doing, doing the team right. You know, like you're, you finish with a conference championship, you stayed through the championship game. Um, you've left the program healthy. Like if you're a Memphis fan, you gotta be pretty satisfied with, uh, with Norvell's, departure because he's also not leaving for some sort of uh i mean you can't argue that florida state is an opportunity he has to jump on and he he wouldn't ever really compromise about which job he was going to go after and so if you're a Memphis fan um you kind of got to feel good about the way this ended for you also I, he didn't he wouldn't like when he was asked about the florida state job he kept you know, avoiding those questions, but he did, he was asked whether he would coach in the cotton bowl and he said, yes. So, oh, I did. Wow. so, I mean, I don't know. We'll see if that changes. 
But when he asked about that, he he I he, I can't remember exactly what he said, but I mean he he he. He's, he, you know, he was like, yeah, he was, he, of course. So we'll see how that goes, but at least he plans to for now. So Scott Frost coached and then left. I'm trying to think what are other, what's our other recent uh, history of that? Uh, who was the last? Uh, Scott Frost is, I think, the last G5 coach to leave that was playing in a conference title game. Um, I don't know. Do we, I mean, unquestioned thumbs up on the hire or are we sitting back and saying like, oh, we'll see the, you know, Florida State said it wanted to name a head coach by the end of November. It was sitting around. There was the Mark Stoops. There was the Bob Stoops. There was the vetting some other candidates that were a little bit higher up on the pecking board. I just, I, I think that I know that this company that I'm keeping right now has always had a generally high opinion of Norvell and now he gets a, one of the jobs. So like, this will be fun, right? I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any, I don't have any questions other than just hoping that Florida state is going to give him enough time because you're not going to be able to close the gap with Clemson very quickly. So I'll give you my Mike Norvell pitch because i feel like a lot of florida state fans are not buying norvell well because they uh, sold themselves on they really sold themselves on <laughs> they Bob still Stoops. think stoops is coming <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, what was the last screen. one it was like well listen because of the funeral bob stoops couldn't announce it so they taped a private press conference <laughs> so here's my norvell pitch all right first of all he is a he is a really good recruiter as a modern head coach in, in college football today, the head coach has to like recruiting, has to be the face of recruiting, has to work hard at it. He does that. He's a grinder. All right. He is a really good offensive coach. He's a good X's and O's scheme guy. He is a good play caller. Uh, and he is the play caller. And he's he has he has been a good play caller as a coordinator and he has been the play caller at at Memphis. So he's got that side of it. So he recruits well, he coaches well, he develops well. I mean, they're, they're producing guys, in the NFL guys go to that program and they get better. Uh, he also hires well. Uh, I mean, it's, it's remarkable what Memphis, uh, coaches or former assistant coaches are doing right now. They're, they've got, Mike Norvell assistants, mind you, are currently former Mike Norvell assistants at Memphis over the last four years are currently a the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M, the defensive coordinator at Georgia, the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame, the offensive coordinator at Auburn, the offensive coordinator at Tulane, the wide receiver coach at Tennessee, the head coach at Northern Arizona. I mean, that is insane. And there's more I'm probably forgetting, but that's just sort of I've jotted that down as we got on this call uh so he can hire it really well the one coach he's kept around is ryan silverfield his, his offensive line coach who is one of the best offensive line coaches in the country uh he'll go with him unless uh he would he would be a guy to have a shot at that head job if they're not hiring barry odom so i understand like i guess florida state fans is hey another guy in the aac i guess but I, I think this is a fully uh, well-rounded coach with everything you want. I, I think he's going to be really good at Florida State. And Lane Kiffin is back. Are y'all ready? Hell yeah. I mean... Bring it on, Lane. Hey. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. I mean, <laughs> Lane Kiffin back in the SEC. And all right. So Lane Kiffin on a local radio interview in South Florida the day before the game, they ask him a question. They say, can you tell us that you're going to be the head coach at Florida Atlantic next season? He goes dead silent. Yes. <laughs> does not respond 
So the show just awkwardly goes to a commercial break. So the entire over, like as if the the Mike Norvell Florida State thing, we we set that up a little bit. If you were unplugged from college football, the Lane Kiffin was just totally out of the bag as of like nine a.m. Saturday morning. And yeah, but you know, did you know that that um, the radio interview, it, the like the feed went out at like a very inopportune time, mm. and and they served, but. Mm. but but for the point room, no, 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 because like Lane, I think there's like audio of Lane actually answering that his, he said, I'll be back at FAU if they'll have me or something. But the point remains that like that sort of stuff just finds its way to Lane. Like, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter if he was like intentionally going silent. It's just Lane Kiffin is a magnet for moments like that. So, uh, by the way, and as we mentioned, the the Mike Norvell Memphis gets in a little bit of a dogfight. FAU thumped UAB. Ooh. Shout out to uh, Tom Fernelli who pointed out that UAB played the easiest schedule in the entire country and might have been a little bit overvalued. As uh, as FAU came out and they showed out, and now Lane Kiffin uh, before the end of the game was announced by Ole Miss as the next head coach. And, uh, and, and now he's back. He's at the SEC, he's in the SEC West where he last was as the offensive coordinator at Alabama. He's back in the SEC as a head coach where he last was, uh, at Tennessee and he is back in a power five head coaching job where he last was at USC. You go back and you look at Lane Kiffin's overall head coaching record and it's pretty good. Now he's been in some good situations, but you know, it's good for business. It's going to be wildly entertaining as we get beneath that initial peel of reacting to the news. You know, where are you going to start to dig in with your curiosities of what the Lane Kiffin experience is going to be like in Oxford? I mean, I feel like it's weird because I don't know who Ole Miss could have gotten that was better. That was like a realistic target. So it's like you have to be thrilled with this hire, but because no, of no, this is the dream hire. For Ole Miss. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's like, what I'm saying. This is the dream hire. Like of any realistic person, who is better that they could have gotten other than Lane Kiffin? But because it's Lane Kiffin, and like what Barton was mentioning earlier, where like things just kind of find him. This is either going to be a success and Ole Miss is going to be competitive and fun. And, you know, it's going to make it's going to, you know, they're going to pull off some upset wins and they're going to make noise in the SEC West, or it's going to be a complete and total disaster. I see no in between. Yeah. I, I think, first of all, like this is, this is such the perfect hire for Ole Miss because. He is going to be like I, I like Ole Miss. I don't think. I mean, look, they had David Cutcliffe, and and they, they didn't. I mean, they that wasn't for them. Matt Luke looked like he was starting to turn things around and had a fun offense with Rich Rod, but it's just yeah, that's just not for them. They're about Q Freeze, Lane Kiffin. Let's see how close we can fly to the sun. And Icarus, <laughs> and like they, and and I think, I mean, they don't want anything in between. It's like we're gonna shoot for the dang moon, and and if we burn up on the way up, then we'll we'll crash and we'll we'll start over. But uh, Lane is gonna do that. Like he's gonna go out and he's gonna recruit talent, <laughs> and he's gonna recruit. <laughs> Like it, he might recruit some guys that might know, not get into Michigan. Is that what yeah. you're saying? He might yeah. not recruit. He might recruit some non-Michigan men. I mean, he's but he's gonna you know he's gonna he's also you know Lane's had a few beers with the right coaches. You know he's gonna put together a sick staff probably, and they're gonna be as aggressive as hell on the recruiting trail. And Lane can coach offensive football. Say what you will about him, but he can do that. And so, this is just going to be really fun. And this is this is for it's it's good for college football. 
It's good for Ole Miss. Uh, hey, if, if again, if they go in four years down the road, they are they have crashed in a, in a fiery death, then they will have enjoyed the ride to that point. Um, but I'm, I, you asked what's the interesting in the next, like, uh, in, in the, how we address this, or I'm interested in what the staff looks like. I would assume Kendall Bryles comes with them because Mike Norvell isn't going to keep Kendall Bryles. Mike yeah. Norvell is his own offensive coordinator. Uh, Bryles did a good job for laying at FAU in year one. Browse needs somewhere to land. That that makes a lot of sense to me. Like I wonder if that if this is the spot where Frank Wilson pops up. You know, he worked for him at Tennessee. That's the former UTSA head coach, uh, like badass recruiter. <laughs> um, Chris Kiffin's show cause just expired. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> we're gonna see. We're gonna see just how like brazen. Lane's gonna go is if he brings Chris Kiffin back into the fold. At that the same would be, that place would be kind of badass. To he got he got an NCAA show cause at Ole Miss. At Ole Miss. <laughs> <laughs> I also saw I can't remember who tweeted it, but somebody mentioned that yeah, Kendall Browse was gonna be the OC, and there was somebody who also reported that Charlie Strong was yeah, that Lane, was a, that Lane was had a, already contacted him. That was a fake. Uh, the, the report I saw that was a fake. Twitter account uh, pretending to be Neil, Neil McCready. Um, Again? Yeah. Uh, careful with Neil those. McCready is, everybody wants to be Neil McCready these days. If you've got an L in your name, you're, 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 you're right, right for the pickings. Uh, but, I mean, who, who knows? I mean, that wouldn't shock me. That was what made the tweet so compelling is because <laughs> it, was very, it was very reasonable like, to think like it could land that way. I mean, it could be Charlie Strong Jr., right? Yes. Charlie Weiss Jr. You Charlie mean? Weiss Jr. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what what else do we have on the coaching front? Are we settled? Well, I think it's. I mean, the. the well, didn't Feldman guys, Feldman reported tonight that suddenly Butch Davis is a candidate at Arkansas? No, Arkansas he's not. folks are beside themselves right now because the before that the reports were were sounding because Arkansas wanted Lane. It sounds like, and so then the reports started to surface that. With Lane headed to Ole Miss, Arkansas may just stick with the interim guy and Barry Looney Jr., which no is not no, inspiring. Not 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 acceptable. That's not like Ed Ogeron as your interim. I mean, that's hey, he may be a great coach, but that's that is not what the fans want to hear. No, his connection is because he played there, right? Yeah, and he's been like he was like uh, Chad Morris kept him from the previous regime, so he's been there for a while. But he's like the tight ends coach, you know. Um, so that would be that would be a bit of a wave in the white flag, I think. Um, and then Missouri's still over here, like looking at Skip Holtz and Willie Fritz and uh, some uh, some some other guys that are not not going to bring the same splash as Lane Kiffin. So the Missouri search is weird to me. Like I love Willie Fritz, but I also feel like. They're not exactly shooting for, you know, like they're, they're starting on tier three, I feel like, with their right. candidate. And it's like, are you, are you, you're going to fire Barry Odom for Skip Holtz. Why did you fire Barry Odom to fir- in the first place? Exactly. And, and uh, the, reports, <laughs> the reports are that, like, the board of trust met with the AD and saw his list of names and was like, you got to do better than this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you got to go back to the drawing board. And so now there's no telling where Missouri is going to go. Every single time that someone uh, alleges some grand conspiracy within college athletics, I go back to stories like coaching searches and I'm like, no, it's, it's definitely much more incompetence than anything else or communication Mm -hmm. issues at a minimum. Right. So I was talking to a, uh, uh, college coach this past week. Uh, and this is a coach that has interviewed for several head coaching jobs uh, over the past year or two. Um, and he was remarking at how bad the ADs are at interviewing. Mm. Like, at, like, the, like the questions they ask and the things they're trying to learn, it's I, – I really think 
And I mean, you can tell it just by some of the hires, some of the decisions they make. I, I think there's a lot of ads out there that just just are bad at this. And uh, it, it's just I, I'd be, I'm surprised that like the, the the search firms can't guide them better because they 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 do this every cycle. But um, but no, there that's it, it's. It sounds like there's some ads out there that are just kind of clueless, and and it shows. Well, maybe the search firms name names. No. <laughs> but, well, maybe the search firms actually do uh, know how to do it, and if you just let the search firm handle it and don't try to uh, over uh, involve yourself, it'll be clean. Because it sounds at least, and like Barton, you know, correct me if, if you've been talking to Josh Newberg or anybody from Knowles Two Four Seven, but like. It seems as though Florida State really did do the whole we are going to let the search firm guide this and Mike Norvell is kind of the perfect search firm candidate because when I think about the search firm top 10 or the search firm list, it is very much your best available. And I think about how the search firm's got your different buckets. Like These are the sitting Power 5 head coaches that we believe are, you know, the top available. These are the top offensive coordinators. These are the top defensive coordinators. It, I, I imagine it in a, a very structured way like that. And Mike Norvell is one of those top best available names that we've been talking about for a couple hiring cycles. So if Florida State just let a search firm guide this, then yeah, when your Bob Stoops doesn't work out, uh, maybe I, I don't know anything about whether like James Franklin was contacted. Maybe James Franklin let it be known through back channels. He wasn't interested, but Mike Norvell is your search firm result. Mike Norvell is your search result. When you're like, who is the best group of five head coach who looks like he's ready to take over a power five job? It's Mike Norvell. Maybe that's, maybe that's what more schools need to do in order to make sensible hires. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, but I mean, search firms got it wrong too. You know, I guess, I mean, I guess you don't, you never know which of these, how much, how much input or how much the, the ADs are leaning on the search firms. I think each one's different, but I mean, um, there's, there is some, there's some, there's got, I'm sure there's some bad results from the search firms as well. So I think just you just gotta be, us. That's right. Let us do it. The, the cover three <laughs> search firm. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. We could do we, it. We, we might be wrong, but we're, we'll, we we got good intentions. We'll, we'll give you the right candidate. We can't guarantee it'll work. And I, I'm gonna. We're gonna need to sit in on the interviews, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I have I have thought that a coach would be a good head coach and a good hire, only to hear a press conference and say. That guy is not who I thought he was. That couldn't. That interview could not have gone well. Who? <laughs> don't, don't don't name names about the uh, the coach you're talking to who's uh, discussing how athletic directors don't ask good interview questions. I, w- I want to hear Barton Simmons. That man opened his mouth at the podium, and you said, "Oh nope, never mind." I don't know. Do I want to be that mean? No. Yeah. <laughs> Look. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. All right. Well, whatever. Okay. Sure. I'll give you an example. Um. No, nah, I can't do it. <laughs> maybe I'll get up. Maybe I'll get up the courage another time. I can't get out here throwing coaches under the bus like that. It's not. That's that's not what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? I mean, we'll be back tomorrow afternoon. I don't know exactly when though. Uh, the playoff gets announced at 1215. We get our new year six at three o'clock. Uh, I know Dennis Dodd's going to be in Fort Lauderdale at the podcast studio. We're going to try to get him involved as well at some point. Um, anything else that's lingering before we get out of here Saturday night? Uh, shout out to app state. Sup. Oh, that's the other name that, that is. I don't know if it's fan generated or uh, real reports, but there's that, that's Eli Drinkwitz is buzzing on the Arkansas message boards a little bit right now. Maybe he, it's because it's just just put up forty two on Billy Napier's squad. No, he's got Arkansas ties. 
Oh, does he? Maybe that's why. I didn't even Personally, that. I would like to see Drinkwitz for more than one year with what Satterfield built before I entrusted my power. No, 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 no. See, you're thinking about it from the Arkansas standpoint, Tom. You got to think about it from the Drinkwitz standpoint. He got Satterfield's team, and now he's got a chance to get Arkansas. I understand, but I'm saying if I'm Arkansas, I it's not that I have any doubts about Drinkwitz, although I, I will admit... Kind of like what Bart was talking about the first time I heard him speak. I was like, well, this guy's a little too nerdy for me. I don't know how this is going to work, but it's worked out pretty well so far. But uh, I, I I, just think that I would like to see him maintained before I anoint him as being great. I don't have him pulled up right now, but I'm just going to throw this out there. And I think I'm right. Barton, I think he was Gus's OC at Springdale. Does that sound right? Uh... He has worked with Gus before, I think. I think that's the arc. I think he's old school Arkansas high school. Uh, yeah, yeah, coaching yeah, trail. Yeah. Arkansas, two thousand six to two thousand and nine. Then he, and he jumped in the game quality as a quality control. control. Yeah, yep. there you go. Yeah, that's All right. that's so that's that the connection. That's the connection, and that's a right place, right time. You get mm-hmm. you get a championship team at App State, and you probably know that. It's going to be real tough to get this kind of opportunity again. Larry Fedora was offered the Tennessee job after one year at North Carolina. What could have been? Probably would have been fired at Tennessee too. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, I I understand if you're drink, why you're trying to take care of that. So um, also shout out to Boise for winning the Mountain West again. Two times in three years. Mm Mm-hmm. What about Harson for Arkansas? He's got experience in Arkansas, doesn't he? He was at Arkansas State for a year, wasn't he? Yeah. But, yep. He'd I mean, be a good one. He's probably the best name out there, but I, I feel like he uh, he claimed that he hadn't heard, he's not talked to any Power 5 programs uh, while he's on this championship run. So maybe now that they've won the, the, the ship, he'll, uh, he'll engage. Was that when uh, Adam Rindberg and Bruce Feldman both tweeted a long list of every coach who hadn't talked to anyone while they were preparing for their conference championship game? Uh, I didn't see that. No, it's like there was a there, there was a, a mass a mass text sent out. Have not engaged. <laughs> I'm only focusing on my conference championship games. Okay, cool. Nice. Feel uh, free to engage me if uh, you see this tweet. <laughs> I, I I look at Brian Harson. I mean, didn't isn't Brian Harson from Boise or didn't he go to high school in Boise? Yeah, well, he I think high school, college. He went yeah, to Boise he State. Went to yeah. Boise State. Played at Boise State. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if it's it's gonna take, I think it's gonna take more than Arkansas. I made, agree to to get Brian Harson out of there, but we will see. All right, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Vernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. We will be back with you shortly. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.